Welcome to Systemize Your Success. Today, I'm joined by Julie Wilkinson, who is a keynote speaker and someone who is an expert in mergers and acquisitions. She has her own podcast, which is the Build and Exit podcast, and also a YouTube channel to note as well. And today, we're going to be diving into all things mergers, acquisitions, and how to basically grow your company through alternative means, uh, which I know many small business owners may not think is relevant for them, in the early stages, but I think today we're going to be finding out when is the right time to start thinking about this. And actually, having just spoken to Julie beforehand, maybe actually we should start thinking a lot earlier than uh, than we may actually plan at the moment. So the question is this, how do entrepreneurs like us who don't have an endless supply of cash, how do we leverage the best apps, virtual assistants, automation tools and systems to scale our businesses, increase our profits and have more time to do what we love to do each day? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Dr. Steve Day and this is Systemize Your Success. So... Julie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me. So obviously you have a lot of experience in mergers acquisitions. Just give us a bit of a background of how you've ended up doing what you do, a two-minute history of your background, and um, what type of clients you work with and how you help them. Yeah, so I'm a chartered management accountant by trade. I came from corporate, so I had 20 years in working in finance departments in corporate obviously lots of different jobs, different levels. And the reason I started my company, so Wilkinson Accounting Solutions, is because I did a survey and I asked 20 businesses what their accountants did for them and 100% only saw their accounts once a year. So I realised after a bit of investigation that there's a, there is a gap there for SMEs where I think not enough SMEs bring in a bit of corporate structure. As corporate structure, obviously I'm not saying it has to be as complex as a big multi-corporate. However, elements of it, especially sort of governance and controls, does really help a business grow, especially if you want to exit that business. So that was the reason for starting Wilkinson's accounting. We do have two areas. So we have our tax and bookkeeping team, and then we have our sort of CFO and consultancy team. And our area of specialism within that team is M&A and exit planning. Typical, our sweet spot size clients is probably between sort of a million and 10, 20 million turnover. Um, but I'd say most deals in the market tend to be around somewhere between sort of two to six million. That seems to be like the sweet spot of ones being sold. And our services sort of cover everything from sort of from exit planning. So we help people implement controls and functions so that they can exit their business. Uh, we do valuation reports, uh, sellers packs and pitch decks for funding. Uh, we help with full due diligence for buyers and we have post integration strategies as well, where we help people implement uh, robust infrastructure for them to be able to get good reporting in real time. Okay, fantastic. And so if you think, thinking about from the perspective of someone like myself, I'm a business owner. Um, I've been going out for a few years and I've seen, spoken to mentors and they've often talked about growth by mergers. And to one of the early examples, even before I started this business, one of my mentors um, back then, a guy called Rob Moore, like I know in his early days, he grew very quickly by actually buying other companies to in effect get their list. And so when should when should someone think about that type of strategy for growth? And is there any uh, any situations that you see that that doesn't make sense or that it's too early or um, is that just a... Uh, the right thing for every company we should all be thinking about it 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a right time. I mean, ultimately, I've said before we started, me personally, one thing I've learned from doing a lot of m is I would probably never start a business organically again. The fact is, organic growth is hard work. And in a way, you're kind of reinventing the wheel of what someone's already built. Whether is everybody right for it? I suppose when a seller is trying to sell to you, they do want to see some background or business, you know, entrepreneurial shit that you've got to run that business after acquisition. There's a lot of courses out there that sort of just talk about no money down deals. And I think it is enticing a lot of sort of um, non-business owners or people that want to go into it thinking they can buy businesses, which doesn't mean they can't, but obviously they do have to run these businesses after acquisition. So I don't think there's a right time. I, you know, I even think probably people going into business, if they've got good experience, could possibly just do it as their first transaction, as long as they get the right help and support and they've got the right investment along the way. Um, how we normally work with people is it just depends on the growth strategy i believe everybody should have an exit plan and i think people should be stuck thinking of their exit plan from the moment they start their business i never think you're too busy you're too small for planning and reporting which and and by reporting i don't mean complicated 100 page reports i just mean basic kpis PLs, and up and regular bookkeeping because they're ultimately the foundations of your business I think um, not enough people plan their exit. And, and so when we say exit, it doesn't have to be full-time exit. It could just be you want other income streams and to do that, you need time. But to get time back, you need to get rid of the, the doing in the business. So that means you've got to be able to relieve tasks from other people. Now that is a plan. That is an exit plan because you are exiting some form of your business. And I think um, that's, I believe people should be doing that right from the start. So when we say when is acquisitions a good time, if you're going to plan, that would include a financial plan. And I would say most people should go at least top level three to five years out to think about what's their personal goals from their business. And if you can't get to that personal goal organically through your current business model or your business plan, if it's a new business, then that's when you would be thinking, I need to do something different. And that would be where acquisition would come in because typically you would acquire to accelerate growth. Yeah, of course. So like, example of always to, to build your list if you, from a small business um, terminology, if you like. So actually yeah. get more clients instantaneously rather than having to spend months and years and many, many years sometimes just slowly, as you say, organically building up your list and getting yourself out there on social media and, and allowing people to come towards you, whether that's through paid advertising or other, it's still uh, a huge amount of work. And I know from doing it myself, many years and 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 know that this is it's it's not an easy thing to do one of the things that's always put me off about doing something like buying another competitor or someone in a similar market to be able to get a list or to, to grow the my audience in that way is the finance side of stuff and not feeling like i have access to funds that would be needed to do that and that may be uh, that may be right, but I, I mean, my, my company's doing pretty good, but I just don't know how, like, from a cash point of view, I don't have, you know, a million quid sat in the bank. And, you know, you're talking about buying companies, a million, two million, but I'm, I'm sure that's a lot. Uh, I'm sure it's done differently, as in you don't need a million pounds in the bank to buy a million pound company. So how do, would someone like me look at this as a as an opportunity? Like, is there a way you can leverage your existing business and the value of that in order to raise finance to buy a company? Or is it always going to be about getting other outside investment? Well, I mean, ultimately, it depends what other plans you have for the cash, because you most people will be able to get investment for a deal, but you do just have to have a good business plan and cash flow to support what you're trying to acquire. If I would say if somebody has a business now, 
and they want to know, should I, can I afford to acquire another business? The first place you should start is building your own cash flow in your own business. Because this is where we talk about, because what you want to do is see why are you buying it? That's the most important thing. It's not just about buying it. And it's not only for customer lists. People might buy it to get access to um, employees. So resource technology, um, maybe a different market source. So maybe it's part of your supply chain or something. So I don't know. Let's just say, you know, maybe you're a personal trainer. Um, you might think I could go and buy a gym now, a building to have a gym and a personal training. You know, it'll give you access to new markets. And I suppose what you need to do is build your own business plan to see what cash flow have you got available um, to then know, well, where is my investment? Because most people will need investment for an acquisition. It wouldn't be sensible to put all your money in because you, you'd you get some form of funding. And often people will get seller financing. And that means that what you, what you typically do on an acquisition is you have a deal, a deal structure. So you'll say right, I'm going to pay 40% upfront. So that 40% needs funding. And then you're going to pay the balance, which we call seller financing, which is paid to the seller over a period of sort of however many years, two to five years. So obviously the longer you can push, the better negotiations you have, the easier it is to pay it off. So what most people would do is get funding for the upfront or put their own money in and then try and utilise the cash flow of that business combined with their own business to then um, pay the deferrals back. Uh, but what I would say is it's really important to have those cash flows because a lot of these courses that teach people ac acquisitions talk a lot about no money down deals because theoretically you can buy a business with no money. But what that doesn't tell people is the stress it can put on that business after acquisition because if that business you're buying hasn't paid those loans back previously, it is going to be a cash restraint. It's not impossible and it can be managed but it can't be managed if you don't have any of the reporting in place after the acquisition, which you're going to want pretty quickly. Um, so I think, you know, I feel any size business could theoretically grow by acquisition because you don't have to buy a million pound business. I did an acquisition this year and it wasn't a million. I bought 100 clients off a retiring firm, but it still doubled my business um, at that point. So I was only two and a half years in uh, my business. So and I think anybody can buy the reason people tend to go for bigger deals is because actually funding is easier to get in bigger installments. Um, but it's not impossible. And a lot of people fear the risk of thing element of it. Because once you get funding, it can be quite scary to think, oh, my God, I owe this money. But in the end, that depends what level of risk you're willing to take. You know, running a business is relatively risky, I think, in general. And it depends how risk averse you are to whether you want the funding or you don't to grow by that acquisition. Yeah, totally. I mean, most of us have probably got mortgages so we're probably actually used to bigger debts than we actually think um because at the end of the day you when you buy your first house you typically lie on all the forms in order to bump up your your income in order to get the the mortgage to be able to to actually afford the house that you your dream house or whatever or i say lie i say yeah maybe you're just um creative with the truth because obviously you don't lie on forms like that but you know what i mean and um so i think that like generally speaking business owners are quite good at risk take or risk uh, coping with risk because like you say just running a business in itself and coming out of uh, if you've got a steady job like and i do when i started this business i came out of being a doctor into running a business and and most people including my parents thought i was completely crazy because i was just giving up a security of a you know a lot a, a career a vocation for something that was just a pipe dream um so i think you know i imagine that many many people are quite okay with risk but i guess i get it's just managing that risk and 
not over leveraging yourself and the same i've been in property for 20 years and it's always been the case of you see people going bankrupt when mortgage rates go up it's because they've got 95 110 percent mortgages so i think it's you know being sensible about it isn't it and not not over leveraging in order to to do something which you're not actually sure is going to work or not and i think i think it's just about planning yeah. That there's a lot of buyers i find it a bit ironic there's a lot of buyers that are going into acquisitions sort of complaining that the seller doesn't have the right information yet they don't have it in their own business i personally don't think people are ready to go for acquisitions if they don't have their own books in order and and by that i mean if you're only seeing your accounts once a year you haven't got your books in order because you can't possibly know your real-time cash flow if you're only seeing it once a year so I would say the first thing you should do is get sort of support with your own business models, get your own cash flows in place, get your own bookkeeping up to date, get your own sort of basic management accounts, because how do you implement it into something else if you don't even know how to do it in your own business? Um, and, and the likelihood is the way the way the where sellers are at the minute, they don't typically have that in place. People sometimes say, oh, because they're big, they don't. Actually, the bigger they get, the worse they get, because often they haven't planned it themselves. Um, so you've got to know what you need in place to run that business after acquisition. So that's what I would say. As long as you're prepared, then you're probably okay. But if you're not prepared, it is a big risk, because what will happen is you'll get in there, and then you'll just be bombarded with other problems from the acquisition. You just won't have time to all the right cash or resource to implement things. Yeah, totally. And if you look at it from the from the flip side, because obviously we talked a lot about if you want to buy a company, but what about if you wanted to exit? So say for me, if I said come to you as a as a as a client, I said, look, I really want out of my business 12 months, 24 months from now, whatever the timeline is. What are the key things that I need to put in place, whether that's team, that's systems? You've already mentioned obviously the the reporting and the accounting, that side of stuff. But what else is there that's important to be able to A actually find a buyer but also really get a decent valuation for my company when I do choose to exit yeah so the thing with selling a business is it's not like selling a house and the problem is people see other people in the industry that have sold their business and they just think because their business is a similar turnover it's worth the same it's just not like that because it all comes down to the operations ultimately there is a historic calculation there is a calculation on evaluation because someone's had three years set of accounts but a buyer is buying the future they're not buying the past so you're calculating on the past that they've got to see a benefit to the future that benefit comes from how how poorly or good how good or poorly operated is that business and what a lot of people fail to see is because they have what i would call a lifestyle business so they're taking a lot of cash out and they've earned a lot the fact is nobody wants to buy a job so if after you pay yourself if you work in it as the owner and then after you pay yourself there is no money left it's typically not worth that much to an investor because an investor wants to pay you and get a return for themselves so what i would say is it it's sort of process systems and controls really and people are the four main things and obviously within that you get all the departments so you get hr finance because the first thing you need to know is do you have decision makers because if if you want to sell it for maximum value as the person owning it you've got to be able to transition yourself from a doer to more of an investor mindset and to do that is quite a lot of work because one you have to have the right processes in place to trust that other people will do those roles You've got to have the cash to be able to afford to pay those people. Um, you've got to be able to have the systems that they can follow and the process to be able to do those roles accurately. And ultimately, you've got to have the trust that that business works. So that's where when I say corporate governance, that is what I mean. I see corporate governance as being safeguarding that business from 
risks of those processes and transactions um and that's what i think and and you know so there's lots of things then that go into it it's well do you have a management team that can make decisions if you don't you're probably going to need them when do you need them you need a financial plan this is why a lot of it always comes back to finance because a lot of it comes down to do i have the cash and can i afford to do these things because ultimately in the end if the business has no money it's not a business so that's the thing. So if you haven't got the management team, you need to plan when you're going to get them. Then you need to know, because what a lot of people do is they grow. This is what I see. They grow and actually maybe they've got to six staff or something relatively quickly and they actually feel themselves more busy and sinking more, which theoretically that shouldn't be true because when you get staff, they should be helping you. But what typically happens is because they haven't implemented any processes or controls earlier on, these, these, these employees are kind of not doing whatever they want but what typically happens is the owner's often stepping in and fixing problems because he hasn't got the process to stop the problem in the first place and I do find business owners feel more busy because they now feel they have to fix a lot of problems and they have these staff to manage so the earlier on in the process you can sort it the better really because theoretically from day one when you get your first employee you want to make sure you've got those processes and systems in place because what you want to think in your mind is if I'm going to replicate this on a larger scale how do I do that systematically and that and so a lot of people won't do that you know they'll just grow quickly because they're too busy and they get to a big I sometimes think maybe slowing down the growth and doing it properly is sometimes better than growing too quick and letting it get out of control. Um, and that is why then people do acquisitions, because the fact is most people get to a certain stage in their business growth where they can't grow that much more organically, purely because of cash flow. Because normally to grow to a significant level, you have to invest in overheads first. Like you need people, the processes and the systems before you can get the customers to do it. And that can be hard, that can be restricted to get working capital for that. So if that's why people then would do an acquisition because they would buy that resource, they would buy the cash and they would buy the customers and that would allow them to move past that growth. They'd get to a point where they're stuck and that would allow them to get past that phase. That phase, I think, is probably around 250,000 turnover, realistically. Okay. Between mm-hmm. 250 and half a million is, I think, where people have that struggle to start flipping past it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... I can I can resonate with quite a lot of things you're saying, but also half of what not half a lot of what you're saying is music to my ears because I'm a massive believer in systems. Hence the reason I actually help and coach small business owners on doing exactly what you just said. Um, so I promise the listeners I didn't pay you to say any of that. <laughs> and uh, you know, because one of the things that I really struggle with, I've had two failed businesses over the years, and then this time coming back into business after being in uh, in a career in, as a, in medicine, I decided to do it differently and. And to actually start from day one, and literally the first thing I did, and I've got a degree in computing and systems analysis and design, so I, I sort of knew this stuff, but I never really applied it to my own business. And then this time around, is like literally from day one, every single thing I did, I probably went a bit over the top, to be honest, but every single thing I did was documented, and everything was systemized. And then as over the years, we developed more and more complex or sophisticated ways of creating those systems earlier on. So that actually we can remove you know ourselves from a lot of the managerial decisions before when I'm talking before you get a C-suite in before you sort of are able to afford to hire real decision makers, but just so you're not dragged into every decision, um, the, the decisions are always systemized for you to 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 as much extent as you can. So um, yeah, no, I, I love this. <laughs> and I love the fact that that's that is actually um, uh, you see that's a very important part of. 
um whether it's growth or exit both have the same you know the same mechanism to get there i guess so yeah I, I honestly think the process of control, the people, systems, process and controls are the four most fundamental things for business growth but success. Because the fact is, like, one of the examples we always use, so when we help people with an exit plan, one of the things we would do is help make the company become financially literate. And by that, I mean, what typically happens is the owner will go off and build their own sort of business plan, whether it be on paper or in their head. And no one's ever really bought into that process. Um, and that can be external consult freelancers working for you, or it can be employed staff. It doesn't really matter which ones. Um, they go off and then they then they put it in a drawer and they don't really analyze it. And then time just moves on. And you know, by the time they know the next year's come round. And the problem with this is there's no accountability in the business. People aren't being accountable. So we would say the first thing you I would suggest you're doing is you bring people into those budgeting processes with you. Now it can be on a small scale. So, you know, for instance, if you've got an administrator, you know, why not let them have a hundred pounds spend a month? You know, they can make decisions to spend up to a hundred pounds a month, which you don't have to sign off, like give them a card or something. Yeah, that takes a bit of control because theoretically, yes, they could go off and spend more. But if you've got a good bookkeeping process, you would know that even if they did it once, you would know it quickly and you could choose then to reprimand that, you know, or reprimands wrong, but, you know, you could choose to challenge yeah. that person. So this is where you need the process and the control because the process is, so I don't have to make every decision. I'm letting that person spend £100 without my authority. But if that person goes outside of that control and they go and spend more, how do I find out? Yeah. And it's that how do I find out that I think a lot of people worry about because they're like, well, what if they make a really big problem? But at the end of the day, if you don't have the process at the end, the control, then you won't find out as long as you've got the control. And the control in this instance would be your bookkeeping process. You know, whoever, make sure you're getting at least our monthly management accounts so that you can check against those budget lines, you know, and the, you know wherever you code it to. Let's just say stationary, check the stationary. You know, if your stationary bill's £500 in a month, then it's pretty obvious they've probably gone over it. If it's £50 in the month, it's likely they've stuck to it. Do you see what I mean? So that's what I think is the most important thing. It's that control piece around it. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I, I love this. One of the things that we uh, talk to our clients about is, is well, it's, it's all about letting go. It's about letting go of control and whether it's finances or emails or whatever. And and the biggest barriers are always in that fear. What if? What if they went off with all my money? It's like, really? How are they going to do that? And it's about just often just actually rationalizing um and like you say not not giving them your your uh, visa card with the pin number with no with no spending limits so there's so many ways now you can get like through through banking apps you can have card charge cards with limits on you can have uh, every single transaction pinging to your slack account like there's so many ways you can actually really easily monitor stuff like that to to redeem a bit of bit of control um, and like one of the things that comes up uh, has come up with us a couple of times is um, uh, we we use we use a simple spreadsheet method for actually logging people's times. So it's basically an invoice that our contract is sent. Well. Yeah. And and one of the things I love about that is we use Google, which has this infinite version history, and so we can see every single tiny change on that spreadsheet. We can then actually see when was that made, who made it, um, and it's all tracked back and through. Google accounts, you can see their MAC address and their location. Like it's super, super easy to actually get a full audit trail automatically. You don't have to think about this stuff. All you need is someone to actually then go and 
periodically review that to say, look, is are there any discrepancies that we need to look into further? And if not, then you know you're all good. So yeah, yeah, no, I love it. Um, yeah. We anything else you wanted to say on that before I move on? No, not really. It's just um, it, you know I think it is quite overwhelming for people sometimes because there is yeah. so much in a business that you have to do. And I think um, I do think the fundamentals start with planning because you have to plan these things to know what what do you want to relieve? When are you going to do that? You know, do you have the cash flow to sustain that? You know, and how then do you grow from it? But they're sort of like the four things in my mind. So there's the plan and then there's the action. Um, and I just think so many businesses are so busy all the time. They don't take that time away to actually reflect, which is why I think it's better to do it earlier on, even from the point of startup. If, if you're thinking about these things when you start, you're going to be in a much better place than if you don't think about it until a year or two years in. Yeah, totally. And I wish I hold my hands up. I totally wish I had some sort of business plan in the beginning. It was literally just, oh, this seems like a good idea. I'll stick myself on social media and see what bites. And a few people said, oh, yeah, I'd like to learn what you're, you know, what you're talking about, Steve. And that was the when the business started. Um, and it was really, for me, it was it was a passion business getting out of doing something that I felt very trapped by working in a hospital. Uh, and so that is that is literally as much planning it went into the early stage. And it definitely came back to bite me. You yeah. know, I, I, we had we had real hiccup after about two and a half years um, with business partners and finances. And, and I think most of that would have been um, avoided had we actually put some some planning in place, even quite loosely. Um, but we were just sort of winging it a bit. And I think lots, lots of business, business owners do. Um, and I think, yeah. that, you know, lessons learned and going back. And so thinking about that, I know, again, before we, we started, um, before we started actually recording, we we're talking about you having come from a uh, corporate background and then starting your own business uh, and that transition. And you said there's things you would do differently now if you were doing it all, all again. Do you wanna, can you remember what you were talking about? Yeah, well, I think I would probably more buy into something. Yeah. I, I suppose I came from a, you know, I have always had a plan. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say, I mean, I probably am a bit of a risk taker. So I, I have grown a bit quickly, not with every process in place. So I'm not sitting here and saying everybody has to have 100% processes in place. I think you need to structure it based on your own capabilities and mindset, because it's all down to what you can cope with at the end of the day. When I started, um, you know, I don't think you ever have a definitive plan because ultimately as a new, as a small business, things will be changing all the time. So it's not about being not being flexible. And I don't think there's any harm in sort of posting on LinkedIn and seeing where it goes to a point. But I think there's also, though, people need so much income to live. And what I find happens is if they don't, if they don't give themselves a goal, they'll let people come to them and take on anything and they get overworked very quickly because they don't charge it up. And a lot of people go, well, I have to do that because I'm starting out. That's not true. I didn't, when I started out, I turned quite a lot of work down right from there. But that was the first, that was one of the things I think I did quite well because I always knew where I wanted to go as a vision. And I, I did stick to that plan. I think probably I would have bought a client base sooner if I'd really thought about it when I said that's what I would have changed. But I think I did that quite well. But I think, you know, if you just rush into it and don't think about these things and you do just go out and take anyone, that's fair enough. But when you take it, audit it, you know, have a look at it. Is it the right customer for you? Did it work? Did it not work? I just think people go out and just take, take, take so much right at the beginning. They don't then have time to reflect if it's right. So I, I think you have to be fluid as a business owner because you have to be able to diversify and change. Um, but I don't think the end goal should change. You know, if you know in your heart, I want to deliver this type of service, 
don't fluctuate from that overall goal maybe the type of people you work with might change because you might pick the wrong person and that's fine but you've, you've got if you don't ever analyze it you don't know it and the analytical bit comes does come from reporting and information which is why when business owners start a lot of people say i'm too small to have a kpi report or not but but are you because even if it is just you as the business owner surely you want to track are you doing it right so like I say, I'm not talking about a 50 page report. I'm just talking about basic reports that test you what do you make per customer? What's your profit by customer? What's your cash flow like? And then maybe some of your other KPIs like, you know, what's your percentage close rate of customers? You know, what leads are you getting in? There are obviously some non-financial KPIs that would go into that, but they should be all relatively easy to track, especially as a small business. So if you haven't got them in, that's not because you haven't got time. It's just because you haven't sat back to actually thought about the the analytical side of the business. Yeah, no, I, I can resonate with a lot of that. And having not done that in the, in the early stages, but then it, it became, becomes incredibly challenging, I think, to bring in staff. So when you want to bring in, say, easy example would be a salesperson um and um you know after you've got a basic admin coverage and customer service and that's probably one of the next people that you would consider hiring and if you don't know what your own close rates are what your own success rates from converting leads into into sales is then how do you then judge the performance of somebody else and and it's just simple things like that and whether it's all, all the time taken to do activities like one of the things that i'm massively keen on is actually uh, timekeeping but it's not about being uh, micromanaging and saying and, and watching over what every minute everyone's doing and say, oh, you know, we want Facebook to join that. It's like nothing to do with that. It's about, okay, if we know that on average these, these activities take this long, then I can work out the capacity of someone's, uh, you know, what they can take on, but then I can also compare them with somebody else. And otherwise you don't know if someone's doing work in inverted commas and they put down other than 10 hours of work, but there's no indication of what that work was. There's no way to compare anything. And so, yeah, really simple. We, we, we've we done some things well. I think, you know, from speaking to you today, I think there's a lot of things we could probably improve on. Um, but I think certain things we seem to have done done fairly well up until now, and uh, which is always good to, good to know I'm sort of on the right track. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any point in punishing yourself. Look, we all make mistakes. I'm not going to sit here and say that my business is perfect. We don't have everything in place. And I, I, I don't really think a small business ever will. But I think what's important is you have the, enough in place to make it at least sustainable because you know for yourself you know sometimes the business can succeed without these things you know i have seen businesses grow without these things in place but there will just come a time when it can't go any further and and i and then i see there's a lot of stress and worry about cash flow and i think why do people want to put that on their shoulders you know if they just think about these things early doors have a bit of a plan it will just become easier for you later down the line. But then again, if you are down that line and you're now at the place where you haven't done that and you're here, well, if you are where you are, that is where you are now. But that doesn't mean you can't implement it. But theoretically, you should have more cash flow to bring in more support to help you yeah. um, get the right team members and the right. And that might mean you have to invest in some consultants to help you do it. Yeah, totally. Fantastic. Um, it's been a very interesting and useful conversation and i knew it would be when we started when i um when we, we when we got to or touch base about potentially coming on the show so i'm very glad that you came along i've learned a lot and um i'm sure other people listening will too um i'm going to wrap this one up but i do have some questions that i'd like to ask you if you wouldn't mind um and I ask everybody these questions at the end towards the end of our podcast but before i do is there anything else you wanted to add or say or or bring to the table before i i wrap things up 
No, just thanks for having me. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming along. Okay, so what are your two or three favorite apps or bits of software that you use in your business? Um, well, am I allowed to say names? Well, we use, um, well, we have Outlook um, we and Teams because we're fully virtual, so we don't have an office. Yeah. Sort of like Outlook and Teams are really good for us because that allows us, because we have like a shared drive, so we can all access the same drives. And then for us, it will be, um, we have a HR software tool that allows people to put expenses and book holiday online. That's been really good because it allows us to track and monitor. What, what's um, that one? I can't remember what the name is. Oh, don't worry, don't worry. I don't, I, oh, Breathe, I think it is. Breathe. Oh, yeah, yeah, Breathe, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, Breathe, yeah. I mean, we just have a basic one. It's only like £5 a month. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then our systems like QuickBooks, Zero, and tax systems are obviously for us one of the most important things. And we have like online money laundering tools and things like that, so we can do all our checks. So they sort of systems for us. Yeah, I mean, you were talking before about businesses and and you know, having P&Ls and cash flows and things. And I guess cash flow doesn't really come into zero so much, uh, you know, projective cash flow, but but having zero in like, no, not having zero in my business, I just don't know how I'd function now. Like for many, many years, I didn't I had spreadsheets and I used to give a box of receipts to my accountant once a year. Like you said, I was that guy, with, you know, going back 20 odd years. And uh, and then we switched over to, to zero and it's just like, why wouldn't people do this? It's like, it just makes, it just makes everything so much. It doesn't have to be zero QuickBooks, whatever, you know, um, I used to on Sage, I used originally, uh, but it was overly complicated, I thought for my size of business, but anyway, um, but yeah, yeah. So absolutely, I, I love zero. I think it's one of those tools, which I just can't fathom how I would actually now run a business and have any idea what was going on without it. Anyway, I digress. Um, the title of this podcast is Systemize Your Success, but what does success mean to you? For me, it's about um, getting multiple income streams, living the lifestyle that I want. So I don't see retiring or exiting a business as retiring because I don't see retiring as meaning you never have to work again. For me, my mindset of retiring is for me to be able to get income from what I love doing for as little time as possible for the maximum value to then enjoy my lifestyle with my friends and family. Um, that's what I see and what I think happens a lot is people just think oh if I start my business um, I get out of the slog which to a point yes because you're not controlled by somebody else but what often people do is they just replace their corporate job or whatever their job is with their self-employed job and and that you know and and it's hard I'm not gonna lie it is a lot it takes time to transition from having a job to having a business to having that business as an asset um, but if that's what you want, if you want your lifestyle to be that, because what most people say is, um, a lot of people say, oh, I need the money. But I, from my research, people don't want money. What they actually want is time. But the problem is to get time, most people have to get so much income first before they can have that time because you need to earn money. So it's that sort of transition from, if, that, if you're going into your own business, it's that transition from, isn't it? Well, do I want to, you know, do I want to work in this business full time? Maybe at first you do, you know, if you really love it. But the fact is, is at some point in time, someone will have to exit their business, either through illness or through retirement. Now, that might be in your mind, God, that's 30 years away, but time goes quick and also feelings change. And what I see a lot is people will just fall out of love with their business and then they're not in a position they can sell. So I just think whatever business you're in, it's always good to have an exit in mind and think about what that exit looks like to you as a person, um, which is what it 
money do you need personally you know do you have other investment income streams like through investments and things like that um not just your business because if you're only ever getting income from one type it doesn't matter whether you're in a corporate job or a business you are at risk because ultimately you're only getting it from one source totally good answer okay cool and lastly do you believe you can systemize your success and why yeah definitely i mean i don't think i'm always keen systems don't fix bad processes so i've seen people spend thousands of pounds on systems and they don't work a bit like your zero example the amount of people that i see people use zero and quickbooks and they just think oh because i've got the system it works well i probably see about 100 balance sheets a month all the companies do 98 percent of them don't reconcile with at least 10 at least 10 percent risk on all of them and that means that even though they've got a system it means their bookkeeping process is wrong because they're posting things to the wrong place so the, the output will only ever be as good as the input. So systemizing it doesn't itself, I don't think, make the success. What makes the success the process around that system? Um, because I see it all the time with bookkeeping. And the problem, I think, with most business owners is they don't really truly understand the balance sheet. Most people will get like a and l and a tax number. Um, but when we see valuations, I've seen valuations change by over 5 million, purely because people didn't understand one accounting principle that their accountant did so you know if you're not truly understanding your accounts um you're not really in a, a good position to move forward because you don't know exactly if everything's reconciled and fully up to date yeah absolutely not to, not to digress but one of the one of the things that i always recommend our clients do when they come to me and they so i help them to systemize their business so first thing is do you have a process that works yes okay let, let's systemize it if not figure out how it works first but the second thing is when they talk about there oh can you set, help me set up zero or do my bookkeeper i was like just go and pay an accountant to do it pay a qualified bookkeeper that is what they're there for um so yeah yeah I, that's what i've done for many many years and people often ask me well if you're so good at systemization like why don't you do all your bookkeeping in-house it's because i'm not a professional bookkeeper i'm not a professional accountant i don't want to be you know i want to do what i want to do yeah. <laughs> so yeah anyway so cool thank you so much julie it's been really, a lot of fun talking today and uh, thank you very much for coming along no thank you for having me absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining me and listening to this episode i'm well aware there are hundreds of great business podcasts out there and you chose to listen to this one and for that i am truly grateful hopefully what you heard today took you one step closer to building a successful business so you can share your passion with the world and serve an ever-growing number of people if you got value out of today's episode then so will someone else you know by sharing with others what has helped you along your way you will grow your influence and be the guy or girl that everybody wants to know So please hit the share button right now and also remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. It's impossible for me to cover absolutely everything in these podcasts. So please do head over to systemizeyoursuccess.com right now and download the show notes, transcriptions and some of my best frameworks and systems for free. Thanks again for tuning in and being a part of this amazing community. Until next time, this is Dr. Steve Day and you've been listening to Systemize Your Success.